Check, check, one, two. Check, one, two. Ladies and gentlemen, in a couple of minutes we will be starting. For those that are online, welcome to you this morning. Uh, we're going to make a start. If you're, uh, if you're walking in, you see our tables are set up a little bit different. Today, during our members meeting, we're going to be taking communion, just uh, looking at uh, sitting around a table as Jesus and his disciples did as they took communion. So please take a seat, find a space wherever you like, um, and we'll make a start to our service soon. Yeah, further forward the better, further forward the better. For those that are online, everybody is a little bit uh, shy about being where the camera is. I like the, the major seventh in that song. It's just so uh, major seventh.
Ladies and gentlemen, once again, welcome this morning. Please come in, find yourself a seat. We'll make a start in another couple minutes uh, when everybody's found a seat. So good to hear the sound of conversation and chatter this morning. Brings One joy two. to the soul. I don't think it's, yeah. Good morning everybody, I'd uh, just like to welcome you all here to Margaret River Baptist Church this morning as we come to worship the Lord and uh, the, if you're wondering why we've got this strange setup of chairs with tables is we have got a meeting after church so that's what the tables are all about. Um, what else we got today? Oh yes, this, uh, welcome to all the people that are online on, stream, on live streaming. Welcome to the service today. And we have a new mandate from the government saying we don't have to wear masks anymore. <laughs> so it's actually good to see people smile. You can actually see whether they're looking happy or sad. You can actually see who they are. <laughs> so it's all really good. But I'm going to start by reading from Psalm 30, verses 1 to 12. And it's on page 547 of the Bibles, if you'd like to follow. I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. Lord my God, I called to you for help. You healed me. Lord, you brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, you his faithful people. Praise his holy name, for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favour lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, when you favoured me, you made my royal mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What is gained if I am silenced, if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, Lord, and be merciful to me. Lord, be my help. You turned my wailing into dancing and removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. The Lord my God, I will praise you forever. Let's pray. Yeah, 
first. Living God, in this building, used to the sound of singing. Here there have been baptisms and funerals where people have come to be married or to celebrate the birth of a child. This building where some have wept and others have been filled with joy, have prayed urgently, been stirred and changed. In this building where you have so often been with your people, be with us now. Without you, we would not have known the limitless love of God. Without you, we would not have known the extent of God's forgiveness or seen it in operation on the cross. Without your rescue, we would still be submerged in weakness and sin. Without you, we would not have given divine grace to transform our lives. Without you, we would not have the, known the kingdom of God or our Father's plan to unite humanity in righteousness and love. We can never thank you enough or love you enough, our Redeemer and the Saviour of the world. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd all like to stand, we'll start singing with uh, Days of Elijah.
notices now um, we'll just remind us all members there is a meeting after church at 12 o'clock so <coughs> should have enough time to go and grab a spot of lunch and be back in time for the meeting uh, yeah masks are no longer required and just a reminder to all the men in the place next Sunday's Mother's Day <laughs> you're in trouble if you forget uh, have you got any notices Dana? Did we want to mention the uh, the prayer request uh, for the Hassel family at this stage, or are we? No, I didn't, didn't know there was one. I was just, if you know, our, our my son Rachel and our son, his wife Aileen, his um, her mother died two nights ago. She was 16. It just came out of the blue, pretty much. Although she did have some history of cancer, but so she's over in the well, she was in the Philippines. So Aileen's here, so it's pretty dramatic for her. But we went up there and. Gave her a big hug yesterday. She's she's doing pretty well, but she is fully pregnant. So Rachel was saying that when pregnant women are pregnant, they hold on to a lot of strength because they have to deliver a baby. So she, she was thinking that she'll probably feel it after the birth of the child. So, yeah. 
Pat, did you want to pray into that situation now? Or do you want me to do it? Yeah, no worries. Lord God, in this space, we just uh, uplift the Hassel family to you. And Lord, we, we are just th- so thankful that um, you did know Pearl uh, and you know David, the husband. And Lord, you hold Aileen and you hold uh, Aaron in your hand, Lord. And Lord, we look forward to a time where we get to see them again uh, in your kingdom, your kingdom come. And so, Lord, in this space, we pray peace for that family uh, in amongst the hurt. Lord, we're just so grateful for for the promise that you are to us for this resurrected life in the future. Lord, we remember that now in Jesus' name. Amen. (coughs) Thanks, Pat. Now, if we can have the um, ushers to collect the offering, please. uh, Bring our gifts to the Lord. Father, we just know that you look after us in every way, in every need that we have. Maybe not our wants, but you look after our needs and we don't go without. And thank you for the opportunity to give a portion of what you give us back to you towards your work in your community. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing one more song now, I praise the name, and then we're going to have a bit of a gospel fest. Three readings in a row. I cast my mind to Calvary, where Jesus bled and died.
Jesus and the Immaculate Catch of Fish. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we will go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realise that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, Is it the Lord? As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, 
do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? You love me. And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. The next reading is from Revelation 5, verses 11 to 14. It's on page 1219 of your Bibles. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said Amen and the elders fell down and worshipped. Now we've got Matt to bring it read us Acts 9 verses 1 to 20 on page 1087 of your life. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men travelling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. 
answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man of Tarshish named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus was the Son of God. Thank you, Matt. And uh, we've got one more song more. Um, we're going to be singing Psalm 23, and then after that, Dano is going to see what he can make out of those readings. Please stand. Trust in you alone, for you. 
please stand. Just pray for Dana as she comes up. Um, Father, we just uh, pray that you just bless Dana and uh, bless the words she has for us today. And I just pray that you do open our hearts and minds just to hear what you have to say to us. Just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. got a little video intro for you this morning that's going to help us uh, get underway. So uh, thanks, Rachel, as you're able. Okay. Well... No worries. Well, maybe had it. Ah, all good. All right. Anyway, um, hi. Welcome to church. My name's Damo. I'm one of the pastoral assistants here. It is so good to see you. If you're visiting, stick your hand up for me. Say good day. Oh, hey, Maddie. Hey, guys. Welcome. So good to have you with us. Um, we have got so much going on in the church at the moment and it is uh, wonderful to see it so full. Are you enjoying sitting around in this different format, not in the chairs today? So different, right? Um, this afternoon we're having a members meeting and uh, we're going to be taking communion and it just reminded me of the idea of Jesus around the table with his disciples and sharing the bread in this table setting. And I wanted us to remember that and be reminded of that this morning. So that's why we've changed it up for you. Um, Today we've got these passages. Uh, we've got the Acts, uh, the Acts passage about Paul and how he lost his sight and it was restored. I, uh, I'm going to unpack that, but it was really good also to have in our lectionary readings this week that passage uh, about Peter and Peter's three times denial and Peter's three times uh, restoration. And it made me go, hang on, there's something to the lectionary readings this week that leads us towards this idea of restoration, this idea of you know, we might fall, but actually God lifts us up. We might fail, but God lifts us up. We might, we might not have the ability to do something in ourselves, but God uh, restores. Um, and so today, um, I want to talk about this idea of restoration. And also, there's, a, there's something in there as well. We're still coming through this Easter period. We're coming out of Easter where, where we're remembering the, restora the restoration of our souls in what Jesus did on the cross for us. So very uh, great lectionary readings. If you're not following our lectionaries, jump on board uh, by talking to Val in admin about getting onto the newsletter and in the newsletter each week it's got those lectionary readings for you. So with no further ado, let me get into it by way of a story. Um, I've spoken before about my mum being blind uh, from the pulpit here and, and as you know me you might know that my mum's blind can't see a thing um, and it's amazing the difference that being blind makes to your life the extra effort that you need to go to to just get around in doing the simplest tasks like cooking or cleaning you know going to the toilet hanging out washing um, going shopping um, as we're looking at Paul today and his blindness and then his restoration it makes me think back to my mum and I'm going hang on my mum, she was blind the entire time from when I was born, right? Like, she never, never seen me or my sisters. And I wonder what restoration would have looked like for my mum. What would she have accomplished if she had been given that gift back 
to her in the mid-season of her life for her to be able to push through and just, what would that have looked like? What power would she have taken on board and gone, what a gift and what energising restorative process that would have been for her. And so today we're looking at this story of Saul's conversion into the man of Paul the Apostle. He's gone from Saul to Paul and how he moves from being somebody who's spiritually blind to somebody who's being spiritually alive. And so let me give you a quick recap. Um, We've already read through the passage Acts uh, 9, 1 to 20. And so let's give us a recap. So our story today with Saul takes place about 200 kilometres north of Jerusalem. It's a good, week, it's a good week's journey for the travellers at that time. It's, it's well distant from Saul's normal circle of friends or anybody that he would have called on. So in that space where he was struck blind, he was alone. He was well alone. With all of the work that Saul had been doing to persecute all of those Christians in Jerusalem, many of those Christians would have fled, and they would have fled well distant to get away from Saul. So they would have gone to Damascus. Damascus, 200 kilometres away. I don't want to be anywhere near that trouble, so I'm going to get out of that trouble, and I'm going to go be a Christian in other places that still hold the Jewish festivals. AD 33, it's not too far distant from uh, from being Jewish to being Christian at that time. So Saul is now on his mission to track down these Christians. And he's saying, I'm going I'm to do it, I'm going to do my duty to Jehovah, to God, and I'm going to track down these Christians, and I'm going to wipe them out, and it's my duty. But on his way, this heavenly light interrupts Saul's evil mission, and he encounters the risen Jesus, like we read about in Uh, revelation just now just like in the old testament where god chose abraham god is now choosing saul to be a blessing to all nations the gospel was already coming to jerusalem to judea samaria but actually it needed that last push to actually get it out to the whole world and now through saul it was going to do that he was meant to snuff out the gospel He was meant to be the end of the message of Christ. But at the end of today, we'll actually find Saul preaching about Jesus. This strange twist, instead of taking prisoners, Saul becomes a prisoner himself. So let's have a look line by line at today's passage. Yeah, Acts 9 verse 1, um, if you want to throw that up on the screen, Rachel, if you can, we'll go line by line eventually. Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous, uh, uh, what is it? murderous threats against the Lord's disciple. He went to the high priest. It's interesting, this act is not in isolation for Paul. This is an ongoing thing. This is something threatening and murdering. It was as if it were the very atmosphere that he breathed. He hated this idea of the new Christian followers of the way. Uh, Verse 2, and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any who were there who belonged to that way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners. So like I said, this is around AD 33. The Christians had not quite separated themselves from the Jewish feasts that their their Jewish brothers and sisters held. Because Damascus was so far away from Jerusalem, not many Christians from Damascus would actually make that pilgrimage. 
And so Saul knew that the Christians were fleeing to Damascus and he wanted to track them down. And he knew that the feasts that were happening there at that time would be a good opportunity to ping all of those individual Christians, the followers of the way, in amongst those synagogues and be able to trap them. And so he asked the chief priest for letters and he wanted to take them to these synagogues to ensure this eradication. The letters were actually needed for the Roman authorities because if you were going to cart prisoners along the Roman streets and the Roman pavings of the day, you needed permission to do that. So he needed permission not because the Sanhedrin needed it or, the, um, or it was a religious thing, it was actually to get around the Romans. I love the next part in this, uh, this verse, whether men or women. We can see the fury with which Saul raged against the Christians uh, from this mention of women included as well uh, as one of those, those groups that he committed or desired to see go to prison. And it's good, right? The women here played a more conspicuous part amongst the early churches than they were originally allowed to do during the Jewish, uh, in the Jewish religion. And we can see this from, we're in Acts now, right? We're in Acts 9. We can actually see this from the very beginning of Acts. Acts chapter 1, verse 14 says this. They say, uh, they all joined together constantly in prayer, in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So, you know, Christianity's changed to include the women um, from the Jewish past. And in the New Testament church, there are three women that we know of, at least, that are leaders of house churches. We've got Chloe in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 11. We've got Nympha in Colossians 4, uh, verse 15, which says this. It says, give my greetings to Nympha and the church in her house. And we've also got uh, Aphia, who we hear of in Philemon chapter 2. For a husband and wife team, we see that we've got Priscilla and Aquila uh, in Romans 16, verses 3 and 4. And so it's very clear the role of women in leadership in the early Christian communities was quite prominent. While on the Jewish side, the worship context that they had, it showed that both women and men were able to freely access both the women's part of the temple and the men's part of the temple. <coughs> Sorry. But it was rare in the Jewish context to see a female priest or a female leader. And so this must have been something that Saul wasn't initially happy about in this new, newly forming Christian sect. Surprisingly, though, in the Jewish synagogues, it isn't until about the 5th century that we actually start seeing the segregation between the men and the women. I don't know if you've ever been to a synagogue, but there's a, a rail that runs down the middle that divides the, where the men sit and where the women sit. So Paul holds to this Jewish patriarchal heritage here. I think cultural. And he wants any followers of the way, whether male or female, caught and sent to Jerusalem and killed. Verse 3, as he nears Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. Paul shares this testimony about this light. He shares it not just here in Acts 9, but he shares it again in Acts 22 and again in Acts 26. He shares a little bit in 1 Corinthians 15, I think it is. Paul certainly knows how to distinguish what's a natural phenomenon to actually what's happening here. Paul isn't just saying, oh, I got struck by lightning. No, no, this is, in the Greek, I love how it says, it is a phos apo to uranos. Phos apo to uranos. Phos, light, apo, out of, to the urano heavens. 
light out of heavens. It is a light out of heavens. In the Acts 26 reading, uh, he uses the word, uh, Greek word peristrapsi, peristrapsi, shone out of. And it says in the Acts 26 that the time of day was midday. It was the height of the day. And yet we still have light shining out of heaven, brighter than the sun. And this phos, this light in the Greek, it should be translated actually heavenly radiance. A heavenly radiance. Which the exalted Jesus the Christ appears in his glory to Paul, to Saul. Verse 4. He fell to the ground upon this light and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? You know, he's dazzled by this heavenly radiance, this intense brightness. Um, If we look again in Acts 26, we find that not only Saul, but all of his companions that were travelling with him were struck to the ground by this light. And he heard a voice. Um, If we jump ahead to seven briefly, not that I need you to, um, we'll find out that his companions, as Saul hears this voice, his companions just hear some sort of sound. Just some sort of sound. But when Paul finally works out what's going on, you know, as much as you can in these moments of what the what is going on, he hears the voice of Jesus speaking to him in his Jewish native tongue, in the Greek. Uh, and it's beautiful. It's uh, it's like Saul, whatever it is. Um, you know, this is Jewish native tongue in Hebrew, even though we're on a path well north in Roman-occupied Syria uh, and secretic Damascus. And so we hear this, soil, soil. I don't know about you guys, right? I don't know about you guys. But there's something about hearing your name in your heart language, right? Um, If you're from a different country, stick your hand up for me. Uh, Yeah. Um, Is it different hearing your name in your heart language? Somebody saying it with the accent that comes from that heart language. And so this word from Christ to Saul in this moment would have been precious. Oh, so precious. And here Jesus is calling him in the language that he first learnt as a child and not in the trade language or not in the Syrian dialects. And he says, why do you persecute me? God calls out Saul for his behaviour. He says, Saul, why are you attacking me? What's going on? Early church father John Chrysostom in about 400 AD, he says, here Christ himself is persecuted in his people. Christ himself is persecuted in his people. In one of my theology books that I read this week, it says that we are united in such a way with Christ that as Christ was on the cross... So we are on the cross with him also. We are that bound to him in what he does, in the way that he has... has, You know what I mean, yeah? We are that connected to him by what his actions were on the cross and the grace that he has given us on that day. And we hear it in Jesus' prayer. And Jesus prays, he prays, I in them and you in me. I think that's in John. This is why he asks Saul, he says, why are you persecuting me? And if we consider it, this persecution is actually ongoing today around the world. 
many people who are Christians are being persecuted. Verse 5, let's keep going. Who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? Hang on a second. Why would Paul refer to Jesus here as Lord? Hang on, hang on. Who are you, Lord? This is formal language. This is tough guy Saul, all of a sudden, very sheepish in his immediate response. By using this word, Lord, we see in this moment the end of Saul's persecuting rage. For he is made to see that to persecute Jesus was to actually fight against God. It's more than just a mere word of respect here, right? It's an admission of submission. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, Jesus replied. Now get up, go to the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men travelling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. In this moment, God calls Saul out, and he gives him a role to play in the kingdom. He also... In that moment, he meets all of Saul's needs. So it was these men who were originally intended by Paul or by Saul to destroy Christianity. And now we find that these men are the one that are actually enabling Paul's initial steps into the Christian faith, into his conversion process. And I think there's a takeaway for us in here, that if God asks you to do something, He's not going to get you to do it without actually empowering you to do it. He's not going give to give you the job without supplying that job that you need to meet. Sometimes I wonder, right, are we waiting on a magnificent vision, this light from heaven to strike us before we do our regular good works for the kingdom? Why can't God just give me a sign like Paul or like Saul, like Gideon or like Moses, like Abraham? But actually, here in this moment where, um, where Saul is being impacted by Jesus, we're actually seeing God at work. This is the process where God is changing the lives of millions of people around the globe here. This isn't... So, you, if I consider it like this, if Jesus is the start of Christianity and his death on the cross was the start of Christianity, Saul was the one that engaged it and took it out to the world. And so God changed the lives of millions of people around the globe in just the right timing and in just the right way here. And God acts when God wants to act, not when I think he should act, not when you think he should act. And so we have to be very careful that we don't become so arrogant to think that we're equal to Paul in our deservedness of a sign from God. No, actually, we already have everything we need to lead a faithful life in Christ. 1 Peter 3. We are carrying Christ with us, united with us. God has given us our roles and our spheres of influence in society that he asks us to do our part in. He's never leaving us disempowered. He gives us the Holy Spirit and brings other workers alongside us to build into the kingdom of God. Verse 8. Saul got up to the ground, uh, got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he couldn't see anything, so they led, uh, led him to Damascus. Uh, a theologian named Felton writes, 
He who would strike others was himself struck. And the proud Pharisee became a deeply humbled penitent. An arrogant guide of the blind was himself to be guided by others. It's amazing the humility that we're called to walk in as Christians. Unless you're going to be like small children, Matthew 18, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. So they led him by the hand into Damascus, like a, like a kid. For three days he was blind and he did not eat or drink anything. You can imagine the work that the Spirit was doing in his mind, reordering old texts to unlock the truth, the epiphany that it would have been to him as his mind was being perfected by the Spirit. Saul in this space, convinced by the in-person visitation by Jesus, that actually Jesus was risen from the dead and ascended into heaven. And this all becomes very real for Saul, and you can see him contemplating uh, in that moment all of the sin that he had done in all its enormity, in that moment, all of the persecuting, all the killing of the innocent Christians. And so three days of blindness turns into a period of deep penitence and deep confession before God. And I think sometimes we also need that sackcloth moment, you know, that idea of actually I'm not going to be comfortable in this space because I am sad and I know I've made a mistake when we realise our stuff-ups. That's not the end of the story, though. Verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. How great is the heart of this man, right? God calls. Yes, Lord, he answered. Straight away. Yep, God, you need something? I'm there. What do you need? I'm there. There's something for us here about being available to the Spirit of God when you get a sense of its calling. Uh, John 3, verse 8 has been huge for me over the past month. The wind blows wherever it pleases. So is it with everyone born of the Spirit of God. And so you've got to be ready when God calls. You've got to be ready when he's asking you to move. You might get a sense, hang on a second, I'm not meant to go there today. I need to slow down here. Have you ever had that happen to you in your life? Where actually I've got a sense I need to just hold here for a bit and then all of a sudden you've had five incredibly spiritual moments or three God conversations that you never would have pinged. You would never have seen those during the day if you had kept on going wherever you're going. Have you experienced that? I don't know, I have. Absolutely. Um, unfortunately, Ananias doesn't do so well in the next part of the conversation. The Lord says to him, go see uh, a man named Saul for he is praying. In a vision he seemed a man you're named you come to his place and uh, restore his sight. You know, in this verse is the reason that Ananias is being called to action. He, it becomes clear for Ananias. And the time is right, for behold, he prays. Saul is now, after three days, in the correct spiritual frame of mind to, to receive what Ananias was going to give him. Uh, we've got laying of hands here. Um, I don't know if you, you know about the sacraments. If you, if you want to hear some teaching about sacraments here at the church, I did a video. We've got a video copy of the sermon when Lorena was baptised. Great sacrament that happens in the church. Laying out of hands, something that happens to impart Holy Spirit uh, and uh, 
enabling yeah of people um check that out if you want but i love uh in this verse the greek words uh, for he is praying uh i do gar pros yukatai uh in the greek um for he is praying or not for he is praying it's actually a present tense verb ongoing it is an ongoing it's not just he's praying but he's praying continually it's a form of continuous prayer just like paul used in 1 thessalonians 5 uh, pray without ceasing in this dark room saul is praying his guts out he is absolutely praying his guts out and so ananias here he goes lord hang on a second I've heard many reports about this guy and the harm that he has done to all your people in Jerusalem. He's come here with a letter to say that we're all going to be arrested and this is not good news for us. Ananias, in pure simplicity of heart, on hearing the request uh, from God, he says, hang on a second, hang on a second, God. I don't know if this is a good idea. And he asks God, you know, what is the benefit of giving grace to a man who, according to all the information that we've received up until this point, has shown himself completely unworthy. And who even now, after we heal him, might still seek to do evil to the cause of Christ. He's naturally hesitating, naturally hesitating, to go to a man who has undoubtedly inflicted harm upon many, many Christians. But the Lord says to Ananias, he says, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. How gentle, I guess, is the response. It's a gentle response. But at the same time, it's not, right? Um, here's that imperative. Present, imperative, middle verse, go. Go, you go, and you go now. This is a command. You go. For us as well, if God tells you to go, you go. And there's, there's some gold in the Greek once again. This word chosen instrument. Uh, it's translated vessel. The Greek here, skuos eklogos, it's not just a little cup. Not just a little cup. It's a carrying vessel of great choice. Carrying vessel of great choice. Not a cup. It's a jug. It's a huge vessel. The genitive case of the noun is also used to show the quality of the vessel. It's not just a great jug. It's a great jug that has gold pictures on it. I don't know. It's a great jug, right? It's a good useful for purpose jug fit for purpose jug great vessel and that's what Saul is going to be not only that but what's the purpose of this vessel the purpose of the vessel for my name now that I have a vessel the thing that I'm going to fill it with is my name for my purpose and what purpose is that to share the gospel with the Gentiles to share the gospel out there This, when you get to this point, Ananias is going, ha, 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 what? What? Ananias, devout Jew. Devout Jew, we find out later on in Max. He wouldn't even consider the inclusion of the Gentiles into the church of Jesus here. And yet here the Gentiles are the first in the list of who it is that are going to be called. First to the Gentiles, then to their kings, then oh, maybe you can look after the Israelites. This is Saul's main task. Verse 16, let's keep moving. 
I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And now comes the kicker for Paul. He doesn't know it yet, the burden that he's going to be carrying for Christ's sake. And Ananias gets the inside run on it. He gets the inside thoughts on Christ's plan from the Holy Spirit. And the Greek here is gold. It starts ego gar. I. Ego, I. You know, Greek ego. I, and then gar is for. I, for. Why would you have I at the start of a sentence? No, actually, this is the purpose. My purpose. For. For my purpose. For I am in charge and for this purpose and he will know it. He'll know by the end why he is the chosen vessel, for I will show how much he must suffer for my name. But I will show him, Ananias, don't you worry, he'll get it, how much he, uh, Auton in the Greek, with emphasis, how much he must suffer. It's interesting, right, before I said, you know, how much do we want that vision from God? We want God to come down. Oh, God, show me a vision for my... Hang on a second. If this is what a vision from God looks like, that's a scary thing to ask for. We see the burden that is placed on a person when God calls you to something. And if you are burdened to something, actually Christ is going to give you the strength to do that thing. And now Ananias gets it and he's obedient. He goes, Ananias went to the house, he entered it, he placed hands on Saul. Brother Saul, the Lord, even the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, sent me to you that you might see again, not just see again, but actually be filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, he could see again. He got up and baptized. This is a miraculous sudden cure. Immediate result of the laying of hands is the recovery of sight, but the baptism is the moment that the writer identifies him as inducted into Christianity. Once again, um, ask admin for that uh, thing about sacraments. Great to go back and find out why we do the things that we do um, as Christians. Uh, verse 19, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples. This is that brotherhood that he's talking about. Brother Saul, the Lord, the Lord that that same, I am the Lord that Paul heard when he says, who are you, Lord? And he uses that same word, Lord. And once again, uh, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus, in that full brotherhood. That first true sense of, actually, I'm a part of a family here. And at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. So in the end, the letters that the chief priests gave to Saul to go to the synagogues in Damascus, they weren't delivered. Because in the end, Saul came as a messenger from a higher authority than that of the chief priests in Jerusalem. He knew within himself and he knew, um, he knew what was going on because of all the witnesses to it that now he is on a mission from God. Okay, so in Saul, we see the goodness and grace of Jesus on full display. We see this restoration. We see restoration. Instead of Jesus' blazing presence striking Saul down for his hard heart and his murderous intent towards the church, God saves Saul's life. 
and the church grows. This moment highlights how God's power and grace are constantly the opposite of what we expect. And this is good news, right? Because I think deep down, secretly, we share perhaps Ananias's fear. You know, he thought Saul was too evil to save, too evil for God to use. We too can believe that there are people or movements that are happening in our world at the moment. Oh, God could never use that. God could never redeem or restore that. Oh, nah. But this gospel in this passage, it shows us that this is not the case. This is not true. God will work where we listen to the Spirit of God, where God wants to move. God will move. And so God used the evil system of Rome and the proud movement of the Pharisees in that space to crucify Jesus. God used that. These two movements completely against God's intent for the world, as we would see it. And yet they're all actually bound up in God's purpose, with God eventually using those very systems which killed Jesus to make Jesus the atoning sacrifice for the sin of the world. God knows what's going on. The death of Jesus actually brings life to the whole world. It restores the world. All of these evil structures and our own evil pasts, they're all folded into God's plan. So we shouldn't be like Ananias' fearful response. You know, God has everything in motion as he planned it. You know, this doesn't mean that we can't question God. I think that's actually what makes a relationship. Talking. Doesn't that make a relationship? You can't have a relationship with someone you don't talk to. Oof. But that's how trust is built. In the end, Ananias, out of trust and faith, is moved into action. And it's by this man's action, we might say, oh, Saul's the saviour of the Gentiles. Actually, who was it? It was Ananias, the guy who just listened to the Spirit of God. Just went. Okay, God, I'll, I'll do this. It doesn't sound right. I don't know what's going on, but I'm going to take this little step. It's a small little step of faith for you. And it's by this man's action that the Christian movement has resulted. Eventually millions of people knowing and loving God and knowing of Jesus in the world today. Nearly there. The other person we might identify with in this story is Saul. We might think that we're too evil for even God to use us. What happens if you're like Saul? What happens if you've been putting people down? What happens if you've been running, running things off and you, you're like, nah, this is not good, I know that I'm not good. Actually, why would, God, why would God want to use me? I can't see how God would restore that. Maybe I've done some things that I don't like. Maybe I've done some things that my parents tell me aren't right. Maybe I've done some things my friends don't like me doing. I don't know what it is. God will be speaking to you in this moment about, hang on a second, where is God calling you to? And have you actually listened? The story of Saul here tells us that God can take the worst of us and turn us into God's chosen instruments. Quality, big jugs, chosen vessels. An encounter with Jesus can take a murderer and turn them into a life giver. And he's offering you that peace this morning. And you can bring peace 
to your sphere of influence as you follow that path. And so as we come to a close this morning, all of us, all of us are called to continue on with Saul's mission, to bring restoration of community to the front of the agenda, to bring peace to those who know no peace. God has a purpose inbuilt into each person's life here. You have a purpose. You have a purpose. You have a purpose. You have a purpose, yeah. Even you down there, I see you. You have a purpose. God's got a plan for you, yeah. A purpose to bring people in contact with God, to bring harmony to those who we see are at war with God, to do our good works as an expression of the freedom of which we live. We, have, we who have encountered the gospel of Jesus are now filled with the Holy Spirit to work alongside each other, proclaiming this freedom for the captives, a peace to those who are at war with God, a peace for those who are ashamed of actions in their past. So no matter who you are and what you've done, we're three weeks out from Easter. The grace and power of the crucified and risen Jesus can restore you and you can be used for the glory of God. For us, as we look at Paul in this, you know, bright as ever, you know, actually now I can see clearly eyes opened moment. We see that Jesus is the Lord from that Revelations 5 reading. He is the King. He's the one we need to honour and respect. The one who we fall to the ground. We fall to the ground in amazement of his gift to us. And we bow down to that in submission. And in that moment where Christ connects with Saul, where Saul responds appropriately, God restores him. He lifts him up from his obvious fallenness and it's the same for us. In this conversion moment, Saul is given a new name, a new identity, a new brotherhood in Christian fellowship. And at the end of his story, he goes from being called Saul to becoming Paul the Apostle. Saul is restored from a life that brings death and pain to a life that gives life. What a story of restoration. And this restoration is available to you and all of those around us in the world today also. As we go, as Ananias was called, as we go through our week, pray the Holy Spirit would open your eyes, just like he opened Saul's eyes, to see the God who restores sight to the spiritual blind and restores people to wholeness who would stay in enmity with God. Let's pray as I close. Lord God, open us and our hearts to your powers moving. Lord, shine a light on our moments of walking the wrong path. Lord, show us that your spirit is moving in amongst us, around us, between us, within us. Lord, until your glory is revealed for who you are, in our love, that we share with both our friends and those that we disagree with. Lord, I pray that you would show us that your spirit is moving as we transform our community in justice and in compassion. Lord, and as we do the work that Ananias did, the healing of that which is broken. Lord, guide us in the path of discipleship so that as you have blessed us, Lord, we might be a blessing for others. Lord, that we might bring the promise 
of a kingdom that is near to them by our words and our deeds. And everybody in the church said, Amen. Amen. Thanks, team. Um, Looking forward to this afternoon. It's going to be a great time uh, meeting together and doing communion. Thanks, God's team. If you'd all like to stand, uh, we'll sing the last song in Christ alone. for that word this morning it's good to hear that and uh yeah just pray that everyone just uh you can carry on have a coffee and uh share with each other and fellowship or you can um, go and get something to eat before the, the meeting starts but yeah i just pray everyone just uh just go now in the peace and love of christ in jesus name we pray amen yeah. 12 o'clock
12 o'clock for those that are coming back for the members meeting. Thank you.